Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a special episode of CTO Confessions. In fact, the start of a special series. And the objective of this episode and the series that follows is to speak to people that have led tech projects within Amazon, the Amazonians, and milk them for their experience and wisdom and how that time at Amazon has defined their leadership going forward. But before we start, may I mention our sponsors who are supporting this series. Yes, CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with what they need, purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation, and productivity. What more could a tech leader want? Please think of IT Labs as a mature, experienced, tech leader's favorite off-the-shelf service tailored exactly for what they need to make their lives easier. And my name is TC Gill, IT Lab's Chief Talking Officer. That's CTO with a little T. And I'm speaking from UK, London, the land of hope and glory. And our host who will be hosting the series and pushing me out of the way to host it is Charles Griffith, the CTO of Mile Zero, a capstone company. And he's the ex-tech vice president of transportation of the one and only Amazon. You may have heard of them. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to learn and burn the wisdom he and his guests have to offer into my leadership. So welcome, Charles. Welcome to CTO Confession Series on the stories from the Amazonian tribe. How do you feel about being the host of the series, sir? Well, I can think of a million better choices, but... As a passionate ex-Amazonian, I am pretty excited to to get the opportunity to talk to many of my old friends and take us back to the uh, days when Amazon was young, so to speak. Brilliant, that's great. And what are your hopes for the series? What would you like to what would you like to deliver to our audience around that? I think ultimately, uh, despite the wealth of Amazon uh, information out there, many times there are a number of people that are missed and a number of events that are missed that were key to the evolution of Amazon. Uh, Amazon has many different businesses, and I'd like to kind of uh, expose um, that growth and how uh, Amazon became what it is today. I think that ultimately, if it's entertaining and it provides some information that you haven't heard elsewhere, uh, and you get to know some of the people that I think are are missed by the media in general, uh, I'll be happy. Brilliant. That's great. And I'm really looking forward to this because, I mean, it is explosive success and there's some great innovations that have come out of the the way in which Amazon went about its kind of stuff. And so we're going to look under the covers of what went on and, uh, and, and take that learning forward, hopefully. So let's get started. Let's kick things off. Let the series begin. So my first question to you, Charles, is what did you do at Amazon? Well, I was the uh, VP of Transportation Technology. Unlike most Amazonians who land in Amazon and then change careers and move from different departments and ultimately uh, are far from where they started, uh, I actually stayed in the same department for the entire eight years. Uh, During that time, yeah, during that time, it was quite different uh, from where we started to where we were when I left. Initially, when I arrived in 2006, Prime had already been announced 
in 2005. At that point, it was more aspirational than actual. And so the first challenge was how to make carriers work for Amazon. And that meant using technology to find unadvertised capabilities. Uh, that kind of led us in a direction to uh, inject deeper and deeper into their networks. Um, we started to also introduce deeper injection and integration technology so that uh, we could release new types of products, things like scheduled delivery, so we could get uh, heavy and bulky items delivered in a way that wouldn't lead to uh, customers canceling orders. Uh, mm. And as we continued on, we had to figure out how to support a wider variety of packages. Early on, Amazon was BMVD, books, media, video, and DVDs. By the time I left, it was everything. Everything. And, uh, so, right. Yeah. So we had to figure out how to make that work. And of course, the very last thing that I worked on for probably the last third of my time there was making Amazon into a carrier. Excellent. So one of the things I'm really interested in, I was speaking to other kind of people in the kind of tech space is onboarding. Because I imagine, you know, the, the, uh, the story of onboarding these people fast in a fast moving business, in a fast growing market. What was that? What was that like? What was the uh, kind of strategy that, that made that work? Right. I, I think I'll answer that first from a personal perspective. When I arrived in 2006, there were actually 50 other people or so that all arrived on that same day. We all went uh, to PacMed, which was the original location for Amazon. When I arrived, there were already a few other buildings such as uh, US1 and US2. If you ever come to, to uh, Seattle, you'll see uh, PacMed sits up on the hill and that was where uh, Jeff Bezos would uh, preside. And at that point, it was very different in terms of, of the type of people that were hired. Um, early on, there used to be a joke at Amazon that uh, went something like this. How many engineers does Jeff need to change a light bulb? And the idea being that, uh, you know, basically the only roles we were hiring were engineers, nothing else. So wow. there were no specialists, uh, even leaders at that point were something that were, you know, more of an add-on than, than an intentional hire. So it was a very unusual time. Uh, and over the course of, of uh, the next, you know, five years, there was a lot of investment in kind of that progression. Um, we introduced uh, various types of ways of, of growing the organization. We developed an internal program called Tech Leaders for technology leaders, because we had a lot of engineers that were becoming managers and wow. uh, teaching them how to, to move from an individual contributor to a, a leader is a big change. And yeah. then even, you know, the next couple of levels, um, we had things like uh, leadership coaching and we had um, programs and development for how do we grow the organization in a way that still retains the culture. So a lot of that went on early on. And of course, I think that the other famous thing that uh, Amazon introduced that is fairly well known across the industry is this idea of bar racers, where mm -hmm. they uh, retained the culture by having a bar racer in every interview who was there to really maintain the um, caliber of the hire and also the consistency in the culture. And so, uh, you know, that experience, a lot of people that went through interviews with Amazon would say, I've never had five or six interviews for a position. And uh, they either thought it was grueling or they were excited and, and became supercharged. So the process itself actually 
kind of uh, developed that Amazon culture as well. So that that's a lot of how I think Amazon became Amazon was just that onboarding process. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, they're kind of setting the scene uh, of, of how it's going to, you know, what's going to be expected of you and what have you. So are there any kind of, from your time at Amazon, are there any kind of uh, tips or nuggets of gold that you kind of encourage other tech leaders to kind of take on? Is, is it that kind of uh, interview kind of process? That's certainly one. I think um, what I take away from that, and, and it's an important lesson, regardless of whether you, you use that particular process or not, is a bad hire is, is going to cost you more than any hire. So you really, you're better off not hiring somebody who isn't a fit, whether uh, it's because they, they can't uh, do the role or worst case, you're hiring just for the role and that person has no room to grow. Mm. Or the other thing that we used to look at, are we really doing this person a disservice by bringing them in? In other words, are we taking them from a job where they have um, more possibilities or potentially are a better fit and bringing them into an environment where they're not going to succeed. So wow. we try to do a, a more of a holistic approach. And I think that those kinds of lessons for any leader that's hiring for their organization carry over and should be, uh, you know, part of how you think about hiring. That's fantastic. I love the idea kind of looking out for the, uh, the person applying, you know, and not just for the business taking on that person. That's quite, you know, I'd love to kind of dig into how the details that more, but unfortunately we kind of press for time. So the, the other subject that I wanted to talk to you about was, is that, you know, I've heard that Amazon did some innovating. Okay. There was some innovation in the space. Um, um, tell us about your experience about being knees deep in that innovation in the early days of Amazon? Because I can imagine, again, that was a storm. I always talk about innovation storm out in the market, but it was an innovation storm within the organization. Right. So I, I think Amazon, innovation, when you typically look at innovation, uh, takes a few forms. Most people think of experts uh, that can see opportunity and make step changes, right? That's where a lot of innovation comes from. Amazon was more of an evolutionary innovation. So there's a, a culture of fearlessness. Uh, as I mentioned, all hires were engineers, right? They weren't logistics experts. And that, uh, you know, I guess that naiveness and also that lack of, of traditional experience allowed us to um, effectively re-examine problems and skip industry issues. So there were a lot of uh, similar things happening in other businesses, right? Amazon Music, Amazon Video, um, AWS, you know, where problems were being looked at in a totally different perspective without fear of competition and fear of, uh, you know, keeping up with your nearest neighbor, but thinking, what is the right solution for this particular problem? Mm. Um, we always used to say, work backwards, you know, from the solution. What is, what is it you're ultimately trying to solve? Don't just solve problems, solve for a solution. So along that same time period, there were a number of organizational um, innovations that helped deliver some of this value. So um, Rick Dezel, who was, uh, you know, there from the very beginning, wrote a paper called To Infinity and Beyond, uh, Toy Story <laughs> reference, obviously. But what it was, was really, um, it was a blueprint for creating a service-oriented uh, organization. Um, 
At the time, Amazon, like many companies that grow very quickly, had a number of monolithic stacks that were getting very difficult to maintain and to deploy, for example, the website. And so we were going through this time of, of re-envisioning Amazon's technology stack into a series of services that work together. And so this idea of two pizza teams was derivative from that vision. So uh, a two pizza team is basically the number of people that can consume two pizzas. That could be one person, by the way, or it could be five to seven. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't it wasn't an, an implied number of people, but it was the idea of keep it small and focused with yeah. very precise metrics. So, you know, there was innovation happening at all different points inside of the organization, not just the output. The one thing that kind of comes to mind also, you, you mentioned there is fear, you know, because fear sometimes stops people from experimenting, trying things and what have you. What was that like? Was it was it a safe place to kind of try stuff and, and get things wrong? Or was it kind of, what was it like? No organization likes failure. Let's start there. But the smart organizations learn from failure. So um, also during this particular time, we introduced this idea of uh, an availability group. Um, it's very similar. It, it was at the time very similar to um, uh, one of those um, Star Wars scenes where you have all of the aliens from different worlds chiming in on uh, particular verdicts. Um, that's how it was. So you had service teams that owned different parts of uh, tier one services for the website that would all kind of review failures and we would arrive, we would go through a, a very stringent process. You know, we would look at what was the um, root cause. We would look at were there signs where you could have avoided that? Uh, mm. Because of course we, we wanted to break the culture of doing things without testing um, or, or doing things in a way that, that didn't make any sense, uh, certainly as we were moving to a very large enterprise, um, but also to look at at nuances and, and learnings so that we could apply it across the organization. Sometimes those were technical learnings. Sometimes those actually went into, you know, the, the company's internal development um, tools and, and uh, development uh, processes. Um, Amazon, by the way, was one of the only companies, I think it was the first company I arrived at where the tools group wasn't where you go to die as an engineer. You know, a lot <laughs> of times that that's, uh, you know, Right, right or wrong, you know, a lot of companies I've been at, you know, the underperformers are thrown into that that uh, particular team because, you know, there's nothing outwardly delivered. Meanwhile, Amazon put some of their smartest people in there, and that's how they developed a number of, of different uh, technologies, uh, including their web services and and a lot of the things that allowed them to to build these very effective web service uh architectures versus using third parties like TIBCO and other things that were out there at the time. Sure. And just before we leave kind of innovation, the topic of innovations, what's a few key takeaways that you should kind of leave for uh, for our tech leaders out there around innovation? What, what can they do to kind of invigorate that? I think the first thing is, you know, have a problem you're solving. Innovation for the, you know, the sake of innovation is never successful. Well, I mean, there are universities that develop things through a series of experiments, but again, there's generally a, a theory or, or something that is being proven. So I think you have to start with the problem that you're you're looking for. There are always going to be pivots and, and learnings that may take you in a different direction, but you have to start with, with a focus. Um, 
The second thing is is really to have a, a set of of um, core tenets that influence how you execute. And I think Amazon had core values, which have been published again and again. Mm. And in terms of innovation, the way we would actually conduct a, an engineering review and and look at at um, reviews of particular systems and individuals working on them would be to use these. The ones that come to mind are, are things like invent and simplify, right? The idea is not to create a complex solution. It's to create something that's elegant and sustainable. Um, another one is, is really to deliver results. You don't want something that's going to take a million iterations before it provides value. You have to have a, a scope and you have to, to deliver within that cycle. A few others are things like insist on high standards, the customer obsession I mentioned before, and also bias for action. Uh, a lot of companies that focus on on innovation, especially on the technology side, get into this uh, analysis paralysis. Right? Yeah. There's never there's never a start, and that is why uh, <laughs> that is why I think things like um, you know agile have been so effective to create sprints and and deliverable pieces to help yes. people that are big thinkers deliver uh, in in uh, increments. Yeah. The, the reason why we laugh then, just so the audience understand, uh, the analysis paralysis, I was pointing at myself because I fall down that rabbit hole all the time. It's almost like I'm attracted to the damn thing, you know? Um, so we kind of touched a little bit on rapid growth. I'm still kind of curious around, you know, as you were expanding, I mean, if, it's, if we could use the analogy of a balloon being inflated, I can imagine that balloon was getting very big, very quick, uh, at an unbelievable rate. How did you kind of handle kind of keeping the culture uh, and not allowing things to kind of run off and also not having too many people that, um, you know, just kind of fill the space? I, what, what was that rapid growth like and how was it handled by Amazon? Right. Uh, that's a great question. I think that that in general, as I mentioned before, that idea of uh, a two pizza team is one way. So yeah. there were boundaries. Um, you wouldn't want to throw too many people at a problem. And for anyone who's read uh, Mythical Man Month, you know that the more people you add to a problem, the slower development gets. And in mm. fact, in many cases, it'll just stop. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> um, so one of them was to have a framework for how you would have to think about problems and subdivide them. Uh, the other is, I think that that bar raiser culture um, was important. Uh, it, it created kind of a consistency in terms of the types of engineers coming in. Unlike other organizations, Amazon would hire for Amazon, not for a particular role. In fact, with college hires, which were a big part of that growth, because there were only, you know, let's face it, the technology industry has grown a lot during this time as well. And, and there certainly weren't as many engineers as we have in, in the market right now. So a lot of this came from engineering programs. We would send out um, interviewing groups to uh, universities, just like every big company, but we would not be hiring for our own teams. As painful as that was uh, initially for um, people like myself to learn, you, you ultimately learned that it became great for Amazon. So they were exposed to, to people from a number of different groups in the uh, company through these multiple uh, person interviews. And so they actually got enthusiastic. You know, you would have engineers that were excited about one particular type of product and they might, uh, you know, they might find that 
in one of the interviewers. So it became mm-hmm. a differentiator in the way that we attracted talent. Um, so that, that was one way. I think the other is in terms of at an industry level, um, we, didn't, we didn't go after people that were experts for a particular area. We certainly did hire principals. Uh, we weren't very good at it. And as a result, they ended up creating a, a special team for hiring principals across the industry because right. it was recognized that we didn't have the greatest process initially for that. So a lot of that growth was organic. It was from uh, some of that encouraged movement between teams. Uh, Amazon was very much like a graduate program, I think. Uh, you know, as <laughs> engineers came in, I, I tell engineers starting out, right, you should change jobs those first couple of years multiple times because you're going to learn about different organizations and you're going to learn about different technologies. At Amazon, that was satisfied by creating different organizations uh, and having engineers move between those organizations. Uh, So that was another way. And and I think that that kept people more inspired. It prevented some of the um, kind of the the career um, stymieing that happens in companies if you stay for eight years, for example. Yeah. So coming now onto kind of the general foundations for success, I imagine there's uh, uh, many tech leaders out there kind of thinking, you know, how do I create the foundations that are going to bring about the success in my organization? What are your top three things about your time at Amazon that define the foundations of its success? Well, I think the first one is um, you have to have a clear vision of what you're going to accomplish in cycles. Uh, Amazon had a process across the company called OP1 and OP2. There were two different planning cycles twice a year. Each of these had an evolutionary approach where you would start off uh, putting together, you know, what were the things you were going to accomplish for the next year? It wasn't just feature growth. It was also potentially architectural changes to support the scale and the changes necessary. And there were also investment areas. So, for example, things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, projects that were going to keep the engineers also interesting, uh, interested in the space, rather, and also uh, focused on improving the systems with step change as opposed to just getting back to that incremental growth. Um, so that process would start at an engineering level. It would then move on to a, a VP level, then an SVP, and ultimately um, it would end up in, in an S-team review with Jeff Bezos. Now, I'm not saying everyone was in every one of those meetings, but I'm saying that that was part of the planning process and the approval process. And through each one of those steps, it went through a refinement. Um, every single project, for the most part, within those spaces was adjusted, challenged, um, rethought of, and and ultimately uh, would come out perhaps quite different than what it began as. Uh, and of course, um, so the first one would be a, a planning and how you're going to execute. The next is how you're going to staff and, and build a team to execute on that. Um, it needs to also include, you know, how you're going to continue to add to it, as you just mentioned. And then I think the the uh, third piece is how how are you going to value that system? What what are the core tenants uh, for defining whether that exercise is is going to be successful? In terms of uh, the system and and the deliverable itself, you have to have a set of metrics that define uh, whether or not you've achieved what you were intending to build. 
Um, those can be technical metrics. They can be things like looking at latency. They can be looking at um, concurrent uh, transactions. They can be, you know, very purely uh, technical, but there are going to be other types of changes. There are things like uh, technical debt and uh, how much engineering maintenance and support you're going to have. Mm. Um, there are also going to be things um, in terms of business scale. And can this support the next evolution of what we're going to do as a, a large organization? Um, and then finally, what about the, the actual business that we're running? What's the cost of running it? And how do you measure that? And how do you actually build that into the, the solution? So Amazon was very much, um, you know, a cost per request type of organization. Sure. Um, we didn't do uh, effectively averaging of costs, right? And that, that actually translates into things like AWS for anyone who consumes AWS. They know very intrinsically that cost is a, uh, a very uh, front of mind kind of exercise. Yeah, excellent. That sounds great. Are there any refinements that you've kind of taken from Amazon's approach to your leadership in, as you kind of come out of the kind of Amazon uh, and, and gone forward. Is there any refinements that you've added to that kind of foundation success for yourself and the organizations you're working with now? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I, I appreciate um, in any organization I'm running is individualism. I think that that's the most important thing is to have a very diverse and individualistic, <laughs> if that's a term I can use, uh, mm -hmm. but a very, uh, you know, ground up kind of organization. I don't like top down organizations and, and Amazon wasn't a cult. It was not, uh, you know, everyone did just drink a, a bunch of Kool-Aid and act in a particular way. What it was, was a very heterogeneous uh, kind of organization where, you know, people had may if you put a room of people from Amazon in that era um, in a stadium, you'd have no idea what was bringing them together. But then if you started talking about Amazon, all of a sudden, everyone was uh, almost like a musketeer. No matter what they did, it was for Amazon. And uh, I think that that's another piece that I'll take away is if you can instill that um, camaraderie and kind of that execution against, you know, what is good for the, the organization as opposed to what is good for my particular portion that I'm running, and you can build in the right types of motivations so that the company works that way, um, you're going to have a, a much better organization than, than the typical organization that kind of grades across individual levels and ultimately misses out on the big picture. Fascinating stuff. I'd love to know what was going on with Bezos and and, and this kind of S team to, to be able to see through that. I reckon there's some Jedi stuff going on here. You know, there's some force, uh, the manipulation of the force. And so as we kind of come towards the end, end of the questions, um, what, what were your highlights at your time at Amazon? What's the things that really stick out while you were there? Well, I mean, I think across the board, there were so much that came out during that time. Um, you know, in terms of all of the groups together, in terms of my own particular area, the thing that I'm I'm probably the proudest of is we really transformed the transportation group from being a cost center into a really competitive business. And more importantly, a business that scaled. And when you look at the pandemic this last year, you know, it was Amazon and, and maybe Walmart, right? That, that kept a lot of us alive during that mm. time when we were in isolation. That that supply chain 
which includes, of course, the uh, fulfillment centers and all of the investment in between uh, across that, that very complex supply chain. A lot of that had to do with the, the pieces that uh, my team and, and people inside of the transportation team built. Uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I think that, that that's probably the biggest um, takeaway from the, the eight years Excellent. Good. Good. And I love this part of the podcast uh, that we do. Um, uh, hopefully you'll kind of carry this on. The, uh, the tech genie. I'm going to be te- pretend to be the tech genie. What is your wish? My, my wish every year is the same. I, I'd like another hundred engineers because I'm still <laughs> trying to solve that same problem of how many engineers change a light bulb. Um, but uh, I think I think at the end of the day, um, what I would like to see is is to continue to see investment in people and careers as much as technology, because at the end of the day, really, as we look at each of the, the world's engineering populations, we need to keep getting better to uh, solve the tougher and tougher problems, whether it's, uh, you know, modeling for um, medical science or whether we're talking about delivery of products for individuals people need to continue to get uh, smarter and better tools and so forth. So I just hope that, you know, we can continue to move in that direction and not, uh, you know, see some kind of uh, a pause in engineering growth. Fantastic. Well, Charles, it's been wonderful having you on again on CTO Confessions. Thank you. And as a reminder to the tech leaders listening to this podcast, don't forget to listen to Charles' original podcast, which was recorded back in 2020. We'll put a link and description in the podcast, this particular podcast. So now that we've got this flagship podcast for the series done and dusted, how are you feeling about hosting the sessions going forward, Charles? Well, I think uh, I'm excited because this is the low bar. Each of the individuals that we're going to be bringing in for these other episodes is going to bring in some uh, exciting new information that I think you haven't heard before. Um, there are some fantastic personalities. We've got an international vision in terms of uh, a number of the leaders here. So it's really going to be a different view of Amazon in each episode. So I'm very excited uh, as, as well as you know getting to catch up with some of the people I haven't had a chance to talk to in years. Brilliant. And I'm looking forward to listening to those conversations. So thank you again, Charles. It's been great having you on. Thank you, TC. I appreciate you uh, having me on. So audience, keep an ear out for Charles's Amazonian tribe discussions in the next episode in this special podcast series of CTO Confessions. May the tech leadership force be with you all. This is TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, signing off.